Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Alan is a board-certified hair restoration physician and a hair transplant surgeon, and he's treated more than 30,000 patients and done more than 9,000 hair transplants. So this is a guy who knows how hair grows in every little thing, and whether you're a man or a woman, you're going to learn something amazing in this episode. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, David. It's great to be here. Do you like when people call you a hair hacker? Oh, I love that. And in fact, biohacking baldness is uh, the name nice. of the game today, for it, sure. It's true. And all right, let's. I've been thinking a lot about how do I do this because I. You sent a cool piece of tech uh, to my house, and my wife's like, "Hey, I want to use that," and she has way thicker hair as a result of that. Uh, and we'll talk about what that that device was. Uh, so there's lots of women who are are really paying attention to not just the hairstyle and hair thickness and getting weaves and whatever the other stuff that I don't even know half the stuff that ladies do to their hair. Um, but there's there's actually a hair health aspect to it that I'm finding when I talk to my women friends, they're into it in a different way than it's not cosmetics. It's like, I just want it to grow that way. Uh, and then for men, it's okay, baldness is a big thing, hair loss, as well as uh, hair color. Uh, and, you know, we, we don't want it to turn gray. So what do you think? Should we talk about this for like men versus women? Or is this more of like a hair biology thing? Because men and women are different. Well, you know, when hair loss occurs, it looks different in men and women. And so that's why there's a difference. When your wife wants to grow thicker, healthier hair, it's not because she's having a balding problem. Right. Typically, she wants to optimize it. Okay. And then when we talk about for men, usually male pattern baldness, well, that's something that's visible from across the room. And that's different. So is the biology so similar? We can talk about the biology of hair. Maybe we'll do that first, so, then we'll go into tweaks for men and women. Is yeah. that a good deal? Yeah. So, I mean, look, the genetically, um, androgenetic alopecia is the condition that can affect both men and women, but it looks different. It expresses itself different. The phenotype, right? How it looks in a male and female gender is going to okay. be different. All right. So then talk to me about hair on the head. We'll talk about eyebrows and stuff like that in a bit. When it it starts growing, right? You know, you're young, you get this fuzzy hair. What makes it change so that it starts, let's, let's do first, it starts turning gray before it starts falling out for most people, right? Let's, start, let's go into gray. Well, it can, it can. Yeah. Um, gray hair is probably one of the things about hair that we know the least about, okay. but it's on everybody's mind, right? Because mm -hmm. hair color is, uh, you know, it's a billion dollar market. It's right? ginormous for men so, and women. Even right. a lot of guys don't talk about it. And let's say, you know, a huge number of women, let's say 80 to 90% of women will start coloring, you know, by the time they uh, exit their twenties, even into their thirties. So, right. and they will continue to color most and of the time. Is that to cover gray or just because they like changing colors? Um, most of it is to color, cover the gray because the gray is a sign of aging and that's I'm unwanted. so telling all of my, my uh, girlfriends that, <laughs> or whatever you want to call them, not actual girlfriends, but uh, <laughs> my, my woman friends, I'm um, like, oh, you're actually dyeing your hair for gray. They'll love me for that. Yeah, I didn't, I, I always thought it was because like, it's, oh, today I'm red, tomorrow I'm blonde. So that's mostly well, just- Well, there's a fashion component too, for it's, sure. because there's know. gray under there. Yeah. Okay. And how much of your practice is, how much in your practice do you see people's hair go back to a color it used to be when you change how their scalp works? Well, it, that's something very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. But one of the things 
that we often do is try to optimize the health of the follicle and the health of the scalp. And sometimes you can see this miniaturization of the hair, for example, and it loses pigment, it's going to lose its caliber, it's going to lose its length over time. And so when we rejuvenate the follicle, I'm not saying that we can turn gray hair back to dark, of course not, but hair that's starting to lose its color because of its diameter we can rejuvenate that. So that's so, okay. some pretty, some so, pretty good news if you catch when it When you get thicker hair, it can be less gray. And yes. I've seen a few supplements out there that, that can help hair turn colors. There's some Chinese herbs and some copper and things. And I wrote about all those in the book. Like you said, it's, it's very difficult to achieve. Most people end up uh, coloring their hair if they want it to, to not be gray. Now, your hair... Um, you have some pretty epic hair, which is, by the way, how it's supposed to be because like, hey, I'm a preeminent hair specialist, so you better have good hair. Uh, So do you dye your hair? Uh, No, I don't dye my hair. I've got a lot more gray over the past couple of years. A little bit of gray. How old are you? I'm going to be turning 50. Okay. So 50, and you have less gray than I do, actually, which is cool. But then again, I've got some genetics and I've had a lot of biological stress. Um, So there's no dye at all in your hair? No, no dye at all. Okay. Uh And you've got a pretty darn thick, healthy looking head of hair. So, Well, thanks, because I know all the secrets. I was going to say, that, that must be why. <laughs> so, so when people get their scalp healthy and the underlying support system for hair, maybe they'll see a slight change in color, but basically they're going to dye it. Yeah, they're okay. definitely going to need, if they're going to go gray, if they're predisposed genetically, then they're going to probably have to dye their hair. Okay, so either you like own the gray and say, you know, I have wisdom, which is completely cool, or you say, I'm going to have wisdom and look like I'm 40 forever. In which case, you might dye your hair. My prediction is that within 15 years, we'll have the coloring thing hacked. We'll actually understand the biology of that enough that we can put melanocyte-stimulating hormone into hair follicles and things like that. Um, I think you're right. I think you're right. Just like we figured out, you know, how to basically put a liquid tan in a bottle, you know, for pigment of the skin and so forth. I think that we'll eventually figure that stuff out for the hair follicle as well. Okay. So both men and women don't want gray hair and women will say, I dye my hair because it's fashionable. And the men that I know who dye their hair are loath to talk about it. Uh, Why is it that dyeing hair for men is, at least historically, it's been almost like shameful. Yeah. I think the problem is that cosmetically when guys go to dye their hair, um, you know, they usually do it too dark. You know, they're no. not maybe seeking a professional uh, to help them do that. You know, their cosmetologist, okay. their their local licensed beauty uh, professional is not steering them in the right direction or they're not even asking them. Yeah. Uh, so they're going too dark. It looks too weird, too unusual for whatever their age is. It looks inappropriate. So they, they run into trouble. Okay, so it's not well done. But yeah. there's also something about, at least, so I grew up in New Mexico and I'm an engineer and you're sort of like, well, how you look shouldn't really matter. So yeah, I got a few gray hairs, but it's sort of, so what, like it, it's the, it's almost like it's not masculine to take care of your hair, right? Or even to take care of your skin. So the number of men listening to this who are our age, who have never used a moisturizer on their face is surprisingly <laughs> high. Uh, even though I will tell you, when you use a moisturizer on your face, you'll like how you look. Like it changes your skin and it's healthy for you. Likewise, you take care of your hair, um, it, you feel better. And Absolutely. So a good number of them now, there's articles, they're, men are dyeing their hair because they realize it helps their career. Right, because there is ageism in the workplace. And it's ridiculous because you, you, you want a few, what in Silicon Valley, when no one's looking, they'll call a few gray hairs in the room. Because these are the people who know where all the 
problems are going to happen because they saw them before. Mm-hmm. Versus, Maybe it has a, they have experience, right? Yeah, experience, wisdom, whatever. But you you want people who just, oh yeah, we've seen this pattern in three organizations in our career, so let's not go down that road. It's just the wrong road. And frankly, it should not matter whether what color your hair is. However, people are saying, I'd like to extend my career by 10 years. I'll, I'll, I'd like to have my hair and I'd like to control the color. All right, so... But I think with hair loss, it's different. You know, uh, there's a lot of studies that show that guys get hired when they have a fuller head of hair. And there's actually some studies uh, where they submitted the same resume with headshots with a a guy with male pattern baldness and then the same guy with a full head of hair. And the guy Mm -hmm. with a full head of hair gets chosen way, way more often. So if you're balding, if you have lots of gray hair, um, or if you're fat, you will be discriminated against. And it's not conscious discrimination where people are saying, I don't like bald people. It's it's subtle, it's pre-conscious. It, it's a biological sure. choice and the person making the decision doesn't necessarily know why they're doing that. Uh, they don't even know they are doing that. Um, they're sort of saying, I preferred this resume after I read the whole thing. It, it, and so it, it's, it's really I think it's weird. hardwired. I mean, you know, right. even uh, facial symmetry, for example, mm-hmm. uh, registers in the beauty centers of the brain, right? right. Uh, you perceive that beauty. Um, the brain perceives symmetry as beauty. Mm-hmm. So when it, when it comes to a, a distorted hairline, receding hairline, you know, your face is less symmetrical, less right. aesthetically pleasing. It's hardwired. Okay. And I would imagine, although there are probably aren't studies, but I'd imagine if you're a woman who has a very thin head of hair, there's probably some subtle thing that goes on with that. And it sucks. Like it should mm-hmm. not be that way. However, sure. there's a lot of unconscious human behavior that's out there. So you can hack that. And I'm very interested in what happens with what you're doing around making the scalp healthy before you have going in, you know, move hair follicles around. Um, in in your case, okay, you yes. you've done crazy stuff to make your, your your scalp healthy that would apply to men and women. I'm assuming. Well, absolutely. Well, first of all, I I love my hair and yeah. I wanted to keep my hair. And okay. uh, I watched my dad go bald when I was a teenager in high school, and I watched him struggle with it. I didn't necessarily know what to do about it. I, you know, I had not gone to medical school. I had not had any training in, in dermatology mm-hmm. or surgery or medicine in any way, shape, or form. But I saw him dealing with this hair loss process. And his dad, my grandfather, I'd never known the guy with hair. Right. And so I always thought that, gosh, that's, that's going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess that's one of the reasons why I grew a ponytail in medical school. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I loved my hair. I wanted to keep my hair. And so that, was, uh, that, that, that kind of shaped my... Uh, my thinking at least, even though I didn't have the knowledge at that point of what to do about it. So now give me the list of what you've done to your scalp to make your hair healthy. Give me the list of what you've done to your scalp to make your hair healthy. Uh huh. So, well, I mean, for my scalp and my hair, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a hair junkie. So I've, I've yeah, tried totally. just about everything. So from pharmaceutical therapy to red light, low level laser therapy to nutraceuticals, I've, you know, I've done it. I've had scalp treatments to, uh, to improve the health of my scalp and, uh, and keep the hair growing thick and strong. That's, that's what I want. Have you I'm ever had a hair transplant? So I've never had a hair transplant, okay. not yet. I'm not afraid of one. I, I probably just not. haven't trained that guy yet. You've only done 9,000 of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think it would be hard to do it on yourself, that mirror yeah. image thing. Yeah, <laughs> so that with the mirror and the scalpel, yeah, no, that wouldn't, okay. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> Let's talk about the scalp treatment specifically, because I think that's for, for both genders, and then we're going to get into like men sure. versus women. Yeah, scalp health is so important. I mean, okay. do you know what the most um, 
the most uh, commonly used shampoo is in the world, like the most popular shampoo? Uh, it, I would think it would be like, jeez, uh, Suave or something. So actually it's head and shoulders. Oh, okay. Um, and the dandruff reason that is, big of an issue? Yeah, so dandruff and itching happens to over 50% of the people, 50% of the time. So it's a huge, wow. it's a huge problem. And scalp irritation, just about everybody gets some at some point. Yeah. And so um, I think it's like, um, 110,000 uh, bottles per minute or something are sold. I mean, That's it's just ridiculous. like, you know, I, I can give you the data, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's unbelievable. Scalp health is a wow. big problem. And we know now that there's a direct link between scalp health and the inflammation that's going on totally, and the production at the level of the hair follicle of the right. hair fiber. The hair fiber is dead, but the follicle is alive. And when there's inflammation going on in and around that area, the follicle just doesn't perform as well. So scalp health is really important. I used to be a, a proud head and shoulders uh, customer. Okay. Uh, for when I was younger, I'd have dandruff all the time. And when I fixed my diet, you know, I went bulletproof. I hadn't thought about dandruff in a long time, except maybe in the last 10 years, there's been two times when I had it for a little while after I ate some stuff that I was severely sensitive to. Mm. And then I would get dandruff for a week and then it would go away. Um, so there's like a fungal component to it and you know, there's all sorts of, of inflammation things. Right. So up. we know, you know, okay. we know now obviously the microbiome of the gut, there's now skin microbiome, mm -hmm. microbiome of the scalp. It's just, it's a new frontier of hair okay. health that we're just starting to learn about. Do you get dandruff? So I have had it in the past, but okay. uh, trying to eat a lot cleaner and so forth and change my diet up uh, quite dramatically over the past couple of years. Well, you're wearing your surgical Bauman Medical branded scrubs and they're black and I don't see any flakes. So at it's least working. for today, yeah, your, your program's today. working, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, uh, I don't think we'll get too deep into dandruff on this, but you mentioned that you're doing uh, low-level light therapy uh, on your on your head. What uh, what does that consist of? So low-level laser light therapy is, is a great technology, non-chemical, non-invasive way to impart energy to the hair follicles. And so years and years ago, we didn't know the mechanism. These devices were not FDA cleared. Um, we didn't know why they were growing hair, but they mm -hmm. were. We had big in-office units, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Patients would come in a couple times a week and sit under these uh, big laser devices. And now, obviously, you can get that kind of treatment in the comfort of your own home. And we've progressed over 15 or 20 years from small handheld devices to uh, little bands to laser caps. And, and certainly now the devices are a lot more sophisticated, a lot more portable and a lot more powerful too. And people who've read the blog or yeah. people who are uh, just longtime listeners to the show understand I've really been to light therapy for almost 20 years for cognitive health, making my brain work better. And at Upgrade Labs, we have whole body things. And I've used lasers going back almost 20 years, but a lot of it lately has been LEDs. So you can get these you know, cheap LED kind of helmet things for your head that seem to have some effect. But the one that you sent me, the one that you make is actually the laser. Right. And lasers seem to be way more effective. Yeah. We think that they're a lot more powerful, that the, uh, the coherentness of the wavelengths and so forth of the light energy is what's really activating those hair follicles and, and for skin rejuvenation, wound yeah. healing, all the above. So I think you're getting a little bit more power out of those laser light emitting devices than yeah. you would out of today's LEDs. Now that it may change in the future. You know, we may get more powerful LEDs, mm -hmm. um, but the lasers seem to be the workhorse yeah. for hair regrowth anyway. 
So you have a, a high-end cap that you make that's got more lasers in it than I've ever seen in anything else. Uh, and you know, I, I'll put that thing on and I'll wear it for you know, five minutes, which is what you recommend. Sure. But I noticed something in my brain as well from it because lasers and even LEDs, the high power ones, they penetrate through the skull and they cause changes in blood flow. So I think it's probably good for the brain. Yeah. Are you getting like a relaxation effect or a stimulation yeah, effect? It, it's a, it's a relaxation effect yeah, for me. Yeah. That's what most patients will say too. Okay, For so sure. you, you put this laser cap on, you're getting thicker, healthier hair. And that's, by the way, what um, Lana used. And she's literally, her hairstylist, people are saying, what's going on? Like, you, you have, like, this huge new wave of two-inch-long growth. And it's because she's like, Dave, what's that thing? And I said, oh, you know, Alan sent this to me. Uh, you know, I'm going to go uh, interview him for everything that there is about hair. Uh, and uh, so she basically stole it. And uh, I would say she she would she lets me use it. We'll put it that way. Right, right. Yeah. Well, right. yeah. There's a funny story. One of our patients uh, was in a relationship, and he had the laser, and his I think it was his girlfriend or mm-hmm. fiance or something. Anyway, they broke up. She took the laser. Oh no! And boy, so not only was he crying about the breakup, but you know now he's going to lose his hair. Also, was, okay. you know everybody's crying when that happens. Got it. So yeah, the turbo laser cap is what we sent you. Okay. And that's that's the latest and greatest device. It's got and, and the it, most coverage for it's, sure. It's not cheap, to be perfectly honest. Like those are, are what about like five grand or something? Yeah, that one's a fifty two hundred dollar okay. item. It's it's on the it's on the high end for portable lasers. Yeah. But but it's, it's going to cover a lot more area. It's the sure. highest end one that I've ever seen, and the laser density, just the number of lasers on that is insane. So this is a thing though that to do, do like. Do, are there providers who have one that, that like, are the hairdressers who use them on multiple people or, or do people just have them at home? No, these are home units. Okay. So home units. Um, okay. patients will, uh, you know, take them home and they'll use them. Five minutes a day is the recommended okay. treatment time. It's got great coverage. If anybody's ever seen a picture of the turbo laser cap, it really treats we'll, we'll from the hairline all the way through to the nape of the neck. Okay. So it really covers a very, very large area. And it's got over 300 diodes and uh, they're all, like you said, all lasers. So it's a lot of power right there. Yeah, very different than the the little LED caps. Sure. But I would just say, in my experience, red light definitely grows hair and putting on the head's a good thing. Is it going to be enough if, say, someone hasn't started losing their hair? They're saying, oh, I'm you know 25. And this is, I guess, a question more for about men. Um, but okay, I'm 25. Maybe I'm seeing a little bit. Maybe I'm you know just detecting something going out the crown of the head. Do they... If they just start using red light and washing their hair with the right stuff, is that going to be enough to stave it off for a while? So laser therapy does work well to block the effects of male pattern and female pattern hair loss. Okay. It definitely optimizes the follicle for sure. The main problem though, and we'll talk about this with all the non-invasive therapies, is that you need the follicle mm-hmm. in order for any of these non-invasive treatments to be effective. So if the follicles died, it's too late. If the follicles, yeah, can be beyond repair, let's say, uh, you know, you're not going to have an effect there. So if you have already have a receding hairline, and you're hoping that the laser is going to grow back the hairline, well, that's really not going to happen to you. So, so how would you get a new follicle there? Well, in those cases, we have to transplant okay. for sure. Yeah. And so transplant, I remember I, I first read about these in 20, 20, probably when you first started doing this in 25 years ago, I'm like, that seems so painful. They're going to take a big strip of skin and just move it and staple it onto your forehead. Like that's not something I would be interested in doing. But in the course of, prep, of preparing for our interview and all, I, I didn't understand that you can actually move a single follicle at a time, basically. Yeah, so this is not a pluggy, painful, ugly-looking procedure anymore. We're going to move literally down to as little as a single follicle to recreate a 100% natural result. 
You're basically taking follicles that don't fall out with male pattern baldness, things Correct. from the side, and you put them where the things that are already dead are, and then you keep them alive by doing the things I should have done when I was younger that we didn't even, that didn't exist. Well, the transplanted hair is pre-programmed, pre-programmed to live forever. It's not going to be affected by the male pattern hair loss process. How, it's not going to be affected by your how does, hormones. How does that happen? How does it get pre-programmed? Is that just from where it grows? Where the they're located? Yes. So okay. the so the viable donor zone, which is where we're going to take the hair from, lives mm -hmm. around the sides and the back of your head. Okay. So the occipital zone, right, by the occipital bone, okay. those hairs in men and women are relatively permanent. They're not affected by male pattern or female pattern hair loss. So when we take those follicles and we put them in the new area, or the area that used to have hair, they will live and grow forever. Oh, that's pretty cool. So yeah. they won't be affected. And as long as you have, uh, I suppose like chemotherapy or something would affect them. Correct. But, but other right. than- Not male pattern hair loss. Okay. So toxins could affect them, sure. but the normal hormonal stuff wouldn't. Right. Okay. If you were, you know, stuck on a desert island and you're starving, uh, you know, if there's a high degree of inflammation, you have an autoimmune disease or something like that, it could affect those follicles, chemotherapy, obviously, okay. and other things that are going to knock out all the hair globally, that would be a problem. But the male pattern and female pattern hair loss is relatively permanent, Okay, which is good news. But you still have to protect the other hair. So that's where the other therapies come in. Okay. So, and full disclosure here, uh, I, I said, all right, Alan, I want to know about this. Because when I wrote Superhuman, I had not ever uh, colored my hair at, at all. Uh, and I talked about, like, look, I've held the line compared to everyone in my family pretty darn well from the mitochondrial perspective. The problem is that even though I think my mitochondria are doing pretty well based on all the evidence I have and all the stuff I've written, um, I manage my hormones reasonably well. But I, I use testosterone pellets. And pellets are really convenient. But I noticed after about six months of pellets that my hairline had receded, which pissed me off because I've used testosterone since I was 26 for more than 20 years because my body didn't make it. I had less testosterone and more estrogen than my mom. So bioidentical levels, no problems with my hair from it. Uh, but then I use the pellets. And I'm not saying pellets cause, cause hair loss. They don't for most people. But for me, whatever the whatever that combination was with my pathways, mm -hmm. um, it did that. So I'm like, all right, Alan, we got to hack this. And he's like, come on in. So you guys are going to see in the video, uh, if you uh, watch this on YouTube or if you just uh, go to the Dave Asprey page, I'm actually going to get some of my follicles moved from that amazing immortal hair zone into the front and you're going to do the work for me. For sure. Uh, so I'm I'm going to take one for the team. And also, if, if you're a guy who's uh, who's saying, oh, that's interesting, but I would never do it, I would never talk about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm hacking my hair and I'm totally, totally cool with that. Uh, because I'm going to live to 180, and when I'm 180, I'd you know like to have hair at, at least as thick as yours. I'd, I'd be fine with that. So, <laughs> well, you you deserve to have a thick, full head of hair. And this is everybody. I'm not doing particularly badly uh, for I'm you know 47, right? Oh, you're doing okay. Uh, but I think I I definitely my forehead's gotten a little larger, and I'm like screw that noise. Like I want to have the hair like I had when I was 30. So I'm going to do that. Right. So we do know testosterone in the body gets converted to DHT, dihydrotestosterone, right. and that's the trigger for the miniaturization and the weakening of the hair follicle. Well, it's a trigger, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the DHT myth, and it, it, it's not a myth because DHT buildup does cause hair sure. loss, but that DHT is a bad form of testosterone is the myth because DHT is an important signaling True. metabolite. And if you inhibit all DHT in the body, bad things can happen to your hormones. Uh, in fact, it's one reason I've never taken uh, minoxidil uh, or is that finasteride. Sorry, finasteride. Thinking. Yeah, I was like, I'm doing this backwards because some number of people who take it orally, it kind of chemically castrates them. Like all their hormones stop working. 
and they don't get it back. And they call it post-finasteride therapy. But I'm considering doing it topically instead of orally. And that's something that you, do you make it or we, do you just prescribe it? How does so it work? we prescribe it. We work okay. with a compounding pharmacy that makes a very clever mixture of topical finasteride for the scalp. Okay. And so theoretically that should avoid this large amount of finasteride in the serum, in the bloodstream. Where you so, don't want it. Which you right. don't want, right, exactly. Um, but it will still have that activity at the level of the okay. scalp. And so we've seen some very nice results with topical finasteride. So you can put that on, on topically and it's probably safe. Well, the data shows um, mm -hmm. that we're getting some hair growth and um, fewer incidents of side effects than okay. you would if you were taking it systemically. Got it. So I, that's something I would not take systemically. I'd rather be bald. But mm -hmm. topically, I think that the ROI is is there. Like the risk reward looks like mm -hmm. it's pretty good. No, and for your listeners, mm -hmm. that you know, keep in mind that ninety eight percent of patients on oral finasteride don't have any kind of side effects. So, yep. so you have to you know make that option, you know, and be aware sure. that there are risks and rewards, like you said, and make the choice. And also, if you're already on it and uh, you aren't having massive sexual side effects, like no erections whatsoever, um, then great, you dodge that bullet. <laughs> I'm good, like, good. I just don't want to play with that given good point. Given my biology, uh, and you know, I, I, I did not start out with a good biological template, having weighed 300 pounds, sure. autoimmunity, et cetera. Uh, I'm like, I don't know if that's something that I wanted to do. Right. Well, the good news today is that there's so many other options besides yeah. finasteride okay. to really Im impart uh, more strength and health to the hair follicle. Okay. You know, all the different ways that we talked about. What about minoxidil? This was originally a heart drug, right? Sure. So minoxidil was an oral pill for blood pressure originally. Mm -hmm. And those patients uh, started growing hair on their knuckles. No, they, but they noticed an <laughs> increase uh, in hair growth all over the yeah. body. And they figured, well, one man's side effect is another man's indication. So okay. that's how... Rogaine was born, essentially. And you can put that on topically as well. Yes. So the main issue with minoxidil, or at least in the Rogaine and the generic Rogaine varieties, and even the online pharmacies, is that it's going to be a pretty greasy, gooey, sometimes very irritating, messy protocol. So you keep your hair, but you have greasy hair. Yeah, or greasy scalp, or, or even, in worst case scenario, some kind of irritation or inflammation. Okay. So we've got kind of a fix for that, too. Working with a compounding pharmacy, we create a different version of minoxidil okay. that has a, a different variety of ingredients uh, to make it penetrate better, make it less greasy, less gooey, to avoid some of that inflammation. Okay. And that's Formula 82M. Okay, that's something that you make. Yeah. And I haven't tried any of this stuff. I'm just going to try this stuff. So like, hey, I'll just jump in with both feet. So I'm going to move my immortal hair from the back of my head to the front of my head, mm -hmm. or more, you're going to do that, but I'm yes. asking you to do that uh, right after the podcast, actually. Right. And then uh, I'm going to try whatever goop you think I should put on there after I read the ingredients and make sure that there isn't something in there that I just wouldn't put on sure. my body. All right. Uh, and I think you formulate pretty effectively. Uh, and then I feel like I'm well versed on on the nutrients that support hair, for instance, collagen. I, mm -hmm. I've lost track of the number of times people say, Dave, I'm, I am I eat your bulletproof collagen, but uh, the big problem is I have to go to the hairdresser and dye my roots a lot more often because my hair is growing a lot faster. Just from having nutrients to grow hair is important. Absolutely. Uh, but then there's other things um, that biotin and uh, just all kinds of herbal things that affect hair. You also uh, make... Uh, hair supplements, basically. 
Um, what are the hair supplements that you've found, or at least the the like things like biotin and or zinc, or what what are the things that people need to take to have healthy hair? So I think most people know that biotin and zinc is going to help with hair. Unfortunately, there's not a huge amount of data in the clinical literature, but biotin has been shown to improve keratin production, uh, which is basically that hard dead protein that your fingers and nails or their fingernails and, okay. and and hair is made of. Um, a lot of that information is actually in the veterinary medicine literature, you know, for racehorses and such to show that biotin supplementation improved with hoof uh, strength of and things course. like that. And of course, if, you, if you're investing in thoroughbreds, you want good hoofs and well, such. But first, so fingernails have been shown to improve in thickness when you're on okay. biotin. And certainly we've measured really nice improvements with biotin supplementation in the office. So we prescribe a super biotin. Yeah, you, you 10, make 10,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, it's funny you mentioned racehorses. I, I don't think that hair loss is a big issue, but hoof matters. Hoofs, yeah. The, the low light, uh, low level laser therapy was pioneered on racehorses. And the first device I bought for that, this is before it was, allowed by the FDA for any human use. I just bought one designed for racehorses mm-hmm. and I used that on myself and it worked so very well. And now you can clearly get human grade lighting systems. Oh yeah. So I, I love it that you're going back to that research because, hey, if you have a million dollar horse, you're going to measure what works. And, and it's that idea of measuring what works right. that's now carried through into, into humans. And, and so you've measured what works with these topical preparations. Uh, you've measured what works with light therapy mm-hmm. on the brain or on the brain, on the head. Uh, and what uh, what other things are going on with hair that maybe people don't know about? Like what so, are the secrets? So probably one of the most, probably one of the most exciting therapies that we have is platelet-rich plasma that okay. has come of age uh, really within the recent years. Um, that's really the workhorse of regenerative medicine. And I know you've heard about that in terms of sports yep. medicine for joints and even for wound repair and skin rejuvenation. And we've leveraged those platelet-rich plasma treatments and the growth factors that they provide for better hair regrowth. Okay. I've had stem cells, my own stem cells. Um, Harry Adelson and Amy Killen have been on the show. Yeah, for sure. Did those. and Friends of ours. Had friends, of course. In fact, you went to school with Harry, right? Uh, we did the first... Um, uh, stem cell certification program through the American Academy of Anti-Aging cool. together. So uh, I've known Harry a long time and Excellent. the work that he does. And we have many mutual patients. And he's got a, a new stem cell documentary that just came out. I was just there for the, the premiere. I'm in it. Awesome. And um, what uh, he and Amy did was they did inject some stem cells and probably PRP up there, but none of the work that you do. And so I think it, it helped, uh, but I don't know that it was enough given that I already had dead hair follicles in the mm-hmm. front that you know, probably died a while ago. Right. So, well, there's a, uh, some nuance to okay. applying PRP, making sure yeah. that we're using the right number of platelets per microliter, for example. There's a sweet spot, 1.5 million platelets per microliter is what we think is the right amount. Okay. And then uh, in the field of regenerative medicine, it's not just uh, the cells and the signals, but also scaffold. Right. So what are the scaffolding components that we can use in conjunction with PRP? So not all PRP is really created equally. And I guess that's uh, what I've noticed over yeah. the past six or 10 years is that PRP is now available everywhere. And you know many of your local dermatologists and so forth may think that the skin PRP that they're using to reduce wrinkles and improve skin tone can be used on the scalp. And they may not be getting as powerful a result as what we can they, get here. I would say they, they probably aren't. Uh, in terms of what you're doing is yours is very specialized, not just PRP, but you're doing uh, a lot of other things that go way beyond that. It, I would, we just toured the facility and you have these six different rooms full of all the latest robotic toys, all the cool stuff. 
but PRP is in the corner of one of the rooms because it's it's kind of one of the many things that are part of making your hair grow back. Sure. Well, we have a PRP room. Over the room, that room is specifically for PRP, but you may okay. have noticed that there's centrifuges in every room because uh, okay. we spin PRP on every hair transplant patient. Every procedure that we do, we're going to use PRP in a number of different ways, not just for hair regrowth, but also for wound healing and things such as that. Okay, so I'm going to get more PRP that you've basically specified how it's going to be to support the growth of the hair follicles that you move. Exactly. Okay, that's pretty exciting. Uh, in terms of all these other things that are out there, stem cells, exosomes, or like stem cell juice and things like that, usefulness for hair, I know the FDA is is now talking about regulating those things, even though they're all over the place. Sure. So you can use adipose tissue, for example, and and harvest the mesenchymal stem cells in a small liposuction procedure and use that for hair regrowth. There's some interesting data on that. Read Superhuman if you want to get the details on all that. There's a whole chapter on what's going on with stem cells. Um, So it's possible to do that. But But now we think that the latest and greatest really exosomes, which are these little packets that cells use to communicate with each other mm-hmm. can do the work that the stem cells were doing okay. um, without having to use the cells. That's really cool. It's, I, I call them stem cell juice because stem cells secrete exosomes once they go in there. So if you don't get the stem cells because a regulatory body said you weren't allowed to use your body's own cells on yourself, I'm not sure how that works. Uh, but uh, that's the current state of things, at least in the U.S., uh, so well, there's if, certain regulations in the U.S. on what you can do to those cells that you harvest, let's say, out of the body, what you can do to them. So if you minimally manipulate them, use them in the same surgical procedure, same day, then you, then can, you can. You can. Okay. But, um, but you know, if you want to try to avoid that uh, more invasive procedure of stem cell, then uh, exosomes might be, might be yeah. a nice solution for that. And growth factors today are being bioengineered. So they're... Uh, bioengineered growth factors that we can get right out of the laboratory that um, where these cells, these mesenchymal stem cells have been manipulated in a certain way to produce a secretome, which is that um, balance of different types of growth factors, different um, that ones that have different activities at the level of the scalp, let's say, and we can apply those directly to the scalp during a procedure, during a PRP, microneedling, and you can even get that off the shelf and go home with that. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Alan, someone came to you tomorrow, maybe me, with a million dollars and said, I want a perfect head of hair, cost is no object. What would you do? Well, so actually that depends upon what we're starting with. Okay. Right? Because if someone is coming in with a pretty decent head of hair to start with, then we can help protect it and enhance it, right? Let's give you a little bit more data. Okay. It's a guy 
and he's got a little bit of hair loss, uh, but you know, not not tons. You know, I'd like I'd like to keep it. I, I, it's a different it's different if someone comes in with no hair at all, like right? my dad. Yeah, that that's that's a different scenario. But so, so <laughs> someone who hasn't someone who's fighting the good fight and mm-hmm. is is given up some ground, but is still keeping it going. Uh, um, and this is a man at the, at this point. Sure. So I think the answer might be different for women. But it's like, look, I, I got all the money in the world. I want all the hair in the world. Hook me up. Like, what would you do? So what's possible? So yeah. the first thing we would do if someone came in is find out what their goal is. And, uh, you know, if they have, let's say, a goal to restore their teenager hairline, that might not be such a great idea um, because we want the hairline to look normal and natural. Okay. So we have to, you know, choose a hairline and a shape and a design. If we're talking about restoring a hairline, we have to restore something that looks normal and natural. That's not going to draw attention to itself as something that's bizarre or crazy. Okay. So, but let's say we've chosen a hairline that's lower than what he has right now. We want to turn the clock back a little bit. We have to do two different things. There's two battles to fight at the same time. There's the, of course, the restoration. We got to turn the clock back a hair. We have to reframe his face, but we also have to protect the other hair that he has. So the transplant process might ensue. We're going to do follicular unit extraction. That's the minimally invasive style of harvesting. We've got some new technology what? that allows us to take the follicles one at a time without what, trimming what is that? Hair. Is it like a little melon baller? Like, like how, how does this actually work? A melon baller? No, no. That, <laughs> I've never heard it quite described like that. But um, you, will, you will find out that it is the use of a very, very small microsurgical instrument that's right. kind of round in shape. But um, it's, it's more like... Imagine trying to remove a palm tree from your backyard and putting it into the front yard. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of carve around the um, the root and then lift the tree up and put it in its new location. Okay. So we're going to do that one at a time for either a single hair follicle or a group of two or three hair follicles. So how big of a chunk of root does it take to go with the hair? So I mean, I it's pull extremely hair out. tiny. So okay. the good news is that this is not your father's hair transplant. This is not a row of plugs, which contain 30 or 40 hairs. Um, this is not going to be a, a painful process. So under local anesthetic, we're going to literally make a scoring incision around okay. each and every follicle that we're going to harvest each graft. And that incision is literally less than a millimeter. So it could be 0.8 millimeter tool that's okay. being used. So it's very small. And then that follicle or that graft is going to get plucked out of the scalp. Okay. And so you're going to spray me with lidocaine. It'll be numb. You're going to do these little, little, well, tweak uh, guess things. what? It's going to be an injection. You're going to inject. I'm fine. Yeah. It's, it's going to be an injection okay. of lidocaine, but you're not going to okay. feel it. Got you're it. not going to feel that. And so then you're going to do that. And then you're going to, when you plant it, do you have to make a little incision for it or how does that work? Yes. So the incision or recipient sites, which is where they're going to be implanted, is based on the design that you and I create together. So we'll actually work on that shape and design I get to pick together. one? Well, you're not really picking, but we're going to work on it together that we're at least looking at, at the same uh, end goal, let's say. Okay. I really like Wolverine. And you know, he does that thing where he like shaves his chin and then has that cool beard, the mutton chop thing. I want to do the reverse. So my widow's peak comes down to my eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Could I do that? Yes, Eddie Munster. <laughs> yes, sure. That would look great on you, Dave. The, the real question there is, can you plant those hair follicles anywhere you want? Yes, we can. So um, I did Powell's have- chest hair, I, I could do that? We can use chest hair. Okay, we I'm can... not going to do any of that, but I'm just, it's because they will grow anywhere. We, any any follicle that we use can be planted anywhere as okay. long as the skin bleeds in that zone. Yes, it will live and grow yeah. forever. So I did have a YouTube celebrity ask me for a lightning bolt shape on his forehead. Uh, we did declined. Oh. Yeah, we declined. Um, but he did uh, convince me to transplant a few hairs into his hand. Uh, all right. How, how far forward would we move my hairline? That's a 
excellent question. So if you look in the mirror mm-hmm. and you raise your eyebrows, you will see where that hairline used to be, where the wrinkles stop and the smooth scalp begins. That's the anatomical location okay. that you used to have. And you never had a super duper low hairline, but we can obviously check you know photos from, okay. from years ago to determine that. So we're probably going to move that hairline about a finger's breadth or so. Okay. So not down, that much. So, you know, but that's just, you know, we can decide what okay. we want, um, you know, what would look appropriate. And the great thing is, is that when you and I work together on that design, it's done with a pencil. So we can draw it in. We look at it a couple of different ways, left to right, so forth, take a picture of it even. And then if we want to see what it would look like with a lower hairline, we can erase it and draw it in again. All right. That's. And, when, and once we decide, then we'll execute. We have to get some photos of that. That's going to be cool. Absolutely. All right. Uh, and then what about. Uh, things like peptides. Mm. Um, I, I know you can speed surgical healing with red light and with peptides with ozone. Uh, so are there specific peptides that you use in the practice? So what's old is really what's new again. So my story about peptides goes back to 1999. In 1999, we were using copper peptides yep. to help wound healing and stimulate hair regrowth after hair transplant surgery. Wow. So it's been a long, long time with uh, copper peptides. And that was basically like a blue looking solution. It came with a whole take home kit of gauze and sprays and gels that people would use after their hair transplant procedure. And of course, in those days, we had a row of stitches uh, in the back of their scalp that they needed to heal. Ouch. So the wound healing was a little bit more traumatic. Obviously since FUE, follicular unit extraction, the technology has changed dramatically and the wound healing takes much less time, very little discomfort. In fact, we don't even prescribe Schedule II narcotics anymore for years now. Okay. Uh, you wouldn't need it. Yeah, I'm looking at this as a pretty minor thing where it's yeah. going to take a good amount of time, but we're, we're, it's you know, a bunch of tiny little things. Uh, given that I inject myself with peptides just about every day, I'm like, this isn't really on the scale of crazy stuff like having my bone marrow taken out. I'm like, this is a walk in the park. Right. So many of the peptides that you're probably already using are going to be uh-huh. helpful for wound healing and recovery from this process. They're not well. a standard part of what you do. Um, not every patient wants to do peptides. Obviously, okay. they're, you know, it can be cost involved. But, but you're willing like to, but absolutely, you're willing to work we're with on top on of okay. that. Yeah, absolutely. Things like, I'm guessing, BPT-157 mm-hmm. and then GHK, the the copper peptide. Copper GH, yeah. Are there other ones that are useful? Um, there's thymus and beta, TB. Which, okay, TB500. Uh, okay. Yeah, which is one that we're looking at. So again, the, the data is very preliminary at this point, but sure. stay tuned. Uh, for patients who want to try it, we talk about risk benefit. And if okay. they want it, then we do it. Growth hormone? So growth hormone um, will not grow your hair back, contrary no. to popular belief, um, but it can be used for wound healing and recovery after surgery. Okay, got it. So yeah. if you were like a Hollywood an star option. and you had to look really good faster, you might get another, it's only seven days of healing anyway, so you might get it. Yeah, actually, the, most people's concern is not necessarily that healing time, but it's the haircut that's required for large sessions of hair transplant. Okay. So we have some new ways to kind of avoid that now um, for people who don't want to look dramatically different. Like, you know, you have a short haircut, I, you're not going to look much different immediately after the procedure. I, I was loving it when we talked about doing this. Because like, oh, the size might have to be short. I'm like, that's awesome. Because last year for Burning Man, I went to the hairstylist place across the street from Bulletproof headquarters. And I'm like, hey, I need a CEO hawk. And like, what's that? And I said, well, I'm a CEO, but I'm going to Burning Man. I want a mohawk. So I have to be able to look like a CEO and have a mohawk at the same time. (laughs) 
perfect. <laughs> and so the CEO hawk is exactly the haircut that I'm going to give you it's basically <laughs> short, for the hair transplant. It, it's like short on the sides, basically, and exactly. normal on top, right? But not as high as a mohawk. So, right. And that's actually becoming in fashion anyway. So Absolutely. It's and it's because okay. everybody's getting hair transplants. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. But uh, yeah, so we call that a wide shave. And that's the, okay. e- the most efficient way to get the most amount of hair in the least amount of time, okay. access to all the donor zones. Um, some of our patients have previous old style harvesting, so they have maybe old linear scars. So we've developed a new technique that allows us to take the hair without trimming it. Oh, interesting. So this is called a no shave or here at Bauman, we call it a VIP, F-U-E procedure. So it's long <laughs> hair, no shave, preview hair transplant. Wow. So you got to work on your marketing because VIP FU, everyone knows what that means. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So VIP for you. That's what it means. F-U-E. F-U-E. Yeah, F-U-E. Um, and Follicular unit extraction. You know, that's the term, right? Yeah, so okay. VIP, that's very important F-U-E. person. But, okay. you know, that's this method allows us to take the individual hair follicles and graft. So, well, they, well, the hair does. Okay. So that's the caveat, right? After the, when we harvest those follicles, they have the long hair attached. And then when we implant them, you can actually see the hair immediately wow. after the procedure. So that helps cover some of the crusting. Okay. But then also those hairs, they're going to shed. So in about two weeks, the follicle shuts down, those hairs are going to shed, and then they're going to regrow at the regular time about four months okay. or so later on. So you can but only, it is kind of a fun process. You can only do that for a little while. Right. Uh, okay. And just in other words, you, you get two weeks of, of that, and then you don't see the hair for a yeah, while. Yeah, the major benefit is not that, you know, oh my God, you're going to have that hair okay. instantly because obviously it's temporary. But uh, the cool process, the cool part of the process is that you don't have to dramatically change your hairstyle. Okay. Um, that's interesting, but uh, yeah, I, I would have no need for that. Right. Okay. You have short hair. That's not for you. Yeah, you can totally do that. Wow. Okay. I'm I'm intrigued that all this is possible because I still had kind of this idea that you know they just take a big chunk from the back of your head, move it to the front, and that's gone. Correct. And, that's not what we do anymore. I, I, one of the things that fascinates me about biohacking is just the speed of exponential change and what we can do with medicine. Where do you see hair transplants 10 years from today? So I think really hair restoration, first of all, has you're right, has changed so much just within the past five or 10 years yeah. going from a, such an invasive process to something minimally invasive. And I, I'm really proud to be a part of that minimally invasive pioneer on that. Um, but I really see the medical management of hair loss as be the, the key location that a lot of changes are going to be made. So being able to track your own hair over time, because as I said earlier in mm-hmm. the, uh, in the, in the uh, discussion, you can lose 50% of your hair without it being noticeable to the naked eye. And your best chance at preserving the hair you have is before those follicles have kind of kicked the bucket, so to speak. So okay. the ways that we measure and monitor hair loss, for example, in the clinic using a hair check tool, which is a non-invasive way to measure how much hair is growing in a given area of scalp. And some of our new microscopes, which can immediately assess density mm-hmm. and hair caliber without trimming any hair, is going to give you a metric of whatever you're doing, whatever you're trying to do to hack your hair, you're going to know the response if you give it enough time. So let's call okay. it three months. You come back, we're going to be able to tell you exactly how your hair is changing and how much and where. So whatever hack you want to do, you know, and this is often a discussion I have with my patients, you know, okay. they're very um, aggressive in new technologies and we may not have a lot of the the published scientific research on much of this mm-hmm. uh, set in stone yet. There's maybe some inklings towards this, it, that, or the other. It never is. 
But so we want to know is, and remember that individualized, personalized medicine, mm -hmm. your response may be different than the next guy, may be different than the next woman. So how do we know what's working on you? And it's this follow-up measurement, this follow-up protocol. But what I see changing in the future is you going, either taking some kind of a device home with you mm -hmm. that will help you track your hair or visiting someone in your local neighborhood who can actually do that measurement for you or so have someone even in your house, like your wife could literally hold this device up to your scalp and get a measurement. So it's kind of like a blood pressure measurement for your yeah, hair. Exactly. How many women get hair transplants, not counting eyelashes and eyebrows? So even though um, through the door, which we see about a thousand patients per year, it's about 50% men, 50% women, almost equal in consultation. But many fewer women are good candidates for hair transplant surgery. Mm -hmm. um, and this is typically because, well, number one, they're realizing that they're, I would say the women are a little bit more proactive than the men in terms of their health. Okay. And so uh, they're feeling that changes in their hair maybe more quickly. They may notice that their ponytail volume is changing or, or that they're having excessive shedding. Like, like having a baby will trash your hair like no one's business, right? Absolutely. So it could start even after puberty with birth right. control. It can start with uh, having children or around the time of menopause or even a right. crash diet can change your hair. Yeah, for sure. Or, or changing or your work hormones. schedule, right. like staying up at night and things like right. that. Well, okay, let's let's talk about okay, let's talk about some of the things that women can do. And then I want to really go in on circadian biology because you know, David Sinclair's been on talking about resetting the clock. Sachin Panda's been on. So we'll get into sleep and hair, but just what are the what are the things that women can do specifically to protect their hair? Um and what, what do you say if someone comes in, okay, you know, oh, you have thin hair uh, and you're not a, a candidate to move hairs around on your head. What, like, what, what, what are the options things are there? Yeah. Well, the first thing is that um, they have to get an evaluation by a hair restoration physician. So this may okay. not be their local dermatologist who doesn't see many hair patients or doesn't have technology to measure or evaluate exactly okay. what's going on. So getting in touch with someone who can actually measure and evaluate their situation is the first most important and, step. And what are the top three metrics you need to look at? So when the person comes in, we're going to get uh, their medical history. Okay. So we want to know, are, what are the risk factors? Are, is there some scalp symptoms like itchy, burning, flaking, oily, dry scalp, some sort? Okay. Is there medical conditions like hormone imbalance, as you mentioned, thyroid and yourself, but thyroid problems in women are very common. Is there the use of medications like birth control, hormone replacement? Are they on um, blood pressure medications, um, cholesterol medications, mood modulators? All of those things, which are very, very common in today's society, tend to disrupt the hair follicle function. Yeah. So we're going to take a complete inventory of their health status, run blood tests if we need to, uh, look at their scalp to see what's exactly going on. Is there a patterned distribution to the hair loss when we do those measurements? Is it better in the back of the scalp and not so good up at the front or in the temples? Is there a hereditary tendency? Is it something in the family that we can identify? Mom's side or dad's side okay. can come through both sides of the family. Skip generations, skip siblings. So we want to get an inventory okay. of that. And then we're going to measure different areas. We're going to look at the back of the scalp versus the front with the hair check tool. It's a, basically, it's a cross-sectional bundle measurement, right. non-invasive. So it makes a small bundle, squeezes it, gives us a cross-sectional area without any trimming, and we compare that good zone, the occipital or back wow. of the scalp to other areas. And we can tell them, hey, you've lost 30% of your hair, that 40%, that's why your part line is looking a little bit wider. So it's super quantitative. Yeah, I had absolutely. no idea. Okay. Yeah, so you're going to go through all that. And then we'll look with the microscope and we'll be able to see, 
you know, think of the, the head of hair as like a forest of trees. Is it depleted of trees or is it more oak than birch or more birch than oak? What's going on? Okay. So once we figure all that out, then we'll know, do we need to protect, preserve, or restore? Okay. And the treatment regimen is basically designed to accomplish those things. Okay. Based on her goals. That's, uh, that's amazing. So it, it's, a, it's a detailed analysis, but it's, yeah. it's sort of like if you come to an, an anti-aging doctor and say, hey, what vitamins and hormones do I need? They say, well, could we draw a blood test or two and let's look at the data and let's get your genes, let's look at your microbiome and all of that. Okay. Is there a name for all these metrics uh, where it, someone can you know, get a, a report or a standard lab, or what, what's it called? So there's basically two things that we do in the office. One is the hair check. And so okay. hair check measurements gives us that hair mass index or that cross-sectional bundle measurement, cross-sectional area. Now, is so is that, that a device or? So the, the hair check is a tool. Okay. And you're going to get the data from that tool when, we're, when you're in the office for that consultation. So we're going to measure a few different areas with the hair check tool. So this is only at your office? Correct. Okay, got Correct. It. Or at someone's office that we've trained. It could be a licensed professional in okay. the medical field or in beauty. But, but So you're training to people to use the, the tool device. set. Okay, so you might be able to go to a hair person and say, I want hair check and then know what it is. Yes, if they are okay. a certified hair coach, uh-huh. which is a training program that we do here in the office every quarter, they will be certified on the use of that tool. Okay, good deal. So you are training other professionals and how to use that. All of your secret knowledge of hair mastery. Yes. And then there's what we call the hair cam. Hair cam is a microscope. That's where we take photos of the scalp under high powered microscopy to look at the hair density and the hair caliber qualitatively. But also there's a hair cam analysis, which is a an AI. Uh, um, analysis of that photograph mm-hmm. that anal- enables us to look at exactly what the hair counts are and the thickness of each individual hair. Okay. And so uh, stay tuned for that. that. That's available in the office at the moment, but uh, we may have other ways to, to have you do that kind of analysis on your own. Awesome. Uh, sleep and hair loss. Um, I, uh, I've been pretty vocal about the fact that if you wake up really early in the morning, uh, it makes you a bad person. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, more to the point that that I'm a big fan of the fact that some people are morning people, some people are night people, and there's a circadian genetic component to it, and that most people have a normal thing. But you got to go to sleep at the right time for you regularly. So let's assume that we take that out of the equation that we're talking about now and say you're going to bed at the right time versus prescribing the right time. What is sleeping when it's dark and sleeping well do for hair quality versus getting bad sleep or shift work? Well, here's how I think about chronobiology. First of all, we know, as you just mentioned, the circadian rhythm um, is regulated by light and dark cycles. And evolutionarily, we're built to hopefully sleep about eight hours a night. Um, In the modern world, we know that that's basically been significantly disrupted, more than two hours less sleep per night just within the past uh, couple hundred years with the Industrial Revolution. The hair follicle is a cyclical organ. So every hair follicle, a healthy hair follicle on your scalp is going to grow for a number of years in antigen or growth phase for about five to seven years is the average length of antigen. And then it's going to stop and it's going to rest and it's going to degenerate. And then that usually takes about 90 days. And then it's going to click in and start up again. It's going to regenerate, rebuild and create a new hair fiber. And that cycle is going to repeat itself over and over and over again. 
And that's why we see in a healthy head of hair of 100,000 hair follicles, 150,000, you're going to see about 100 hairs per day shed to 100, 100 Mm -hmm. to 200 every single day. But if there's disruption at that, at the level of the follicle of the chronobiology, you're going to see a lot more shedding. Follicles are going to spend a lot more time in the resting phase and not as much time in the growing phase. And so um, we do notice this in women who, for example, uh, are nurses and they shift from uh, day shift work to night shift work, their sleep cycles are disrupted. They can enter into a shedding phase and it can dramatically affect hair volume. It can accelerate hereditary hair loss. And this is something that we see clinically in the practice quite often. Um, Even patients who are severely jet lagged often will have a triggered shedding phase. So I don't know necessarily that all the biology has been worked out correlating the master clock, the circadian rhythm with what's going on at the level of the hair follicle. But of course we know that in nature, different times of the year, uh, animals, uh, that have fur will shed their winter coats and then, you know, grow the summer coat and vice versa in the, in the change of seasons. So we know that there's something, okay. uh, that's related to that central biologic clock and also the hair follicles. So who knows? Okay. What else about hair should I have asked you that everyone listening ought to know maybe like how often to shampoo? I haven't asked you that. Oh yeah. That's a great question. And so Hair care and scalp care is very much like skin care. Okay. And so the skin, as we age, well, first of all, you're born with certain tendencies, oily or dry, let's say, certain number of sebaceous glands, which are the oil glands on the scalp, and their level of activity can fluctuate over the course of your life, depending on a lot of things, from nutrition, diet, to hormones, stress, medications, you name it. Cholesterol medications will dry out quicker than anything else, basically. Okay. But my point is, is that, so it's, it's kind of a moving target how often you should shampoo and then also follow with conditioner. And it also depends on the quality and quantity of your hair, because if your hair is super coarse and super curly, you might need something that's more of a deep conditioner. Whereas if you have thinner, finer hair, you may be able to get away with something that's more lighter in terms of conditioning. Um, But if you have thin hair and you have oily scalp, then that's a separate issue and you have to use a more let's call it a sudsy type of shampoo, uh, which is a degree of surfactancy, for example. Um, And these degrees of surfactancy or sudsiness depends on different ingredients and how these these shampoos are manufactured. So um, the short answer is that you really need an an evaluation of your your skin, of your scalp uh, to see exactly what's going on. And that's one of the things that we do here in the practice is a trichology evaluation. Trichology is a study of the scalp and hair. And we would use a variety of tools like something that would measure pH level, moisture level, sebum level. We look with different types of microscopic cameras, blue light, white light cameras to really determine what's going on at the level of your scalp and coordinate that with the the quality of your hair, your hairstyling issues, whether you're coloring or or not, and also um, what you're trying to accomplish with your hair growth regimen. But all of that gets... Um, distilled down into some recommendations. And many patients will come in with itchy, dry, or some other symptomatic type of scalp, and we have to rectify that. We have to apply a therapeutic intervention. That could be a treatment in the office. It could be something you take home. It could be just a change in your your current regimen, maybe just shampooing less and conditioning more. 
So you're doing a, a very quantified scalp analysis when people are lucky enough to come in and see you. Yes, we're going to hack your scalp. Um, okay, I'm, I'm excited to see what you have to say. I found that if I shampoo like once a week or less, uh, my hair is way happier. But if I wash it you know, every time I take a shower, it, it dries out. It doesn't do well no matter what shampoo I do. So I'm like, hair, you can chill. What's interesting is that in Europe, um, they've done these studies and it's like once or twice a week, maybe they would shampoo. And here in the US, sometimes we shampoo twice a day. You know, wow. If you're going to the gym and things like that, and depending on the styling products, you know, so there's a wide variation uh, geographically in the world of how often people shampoo. I, but there's also new trends. Like, for uh -huh. example, um, uh, curly-haired uh, folks find that uh, if they use a very sudsy or high sur surfactancy type of shampoo, it frizzes out the curls and it doesn't right. leave it with nice conditioning or, or manageability. So they will use a conditioning wash or co-wash system. And uh, that's that can be tricky. That means you're using just a conditioner in the shower mm -hmm. on your hair and hopefully rinsing all that out and then using some kind of a clarifying shampoo or, or cleansing conditioner on an intermittent basis. It could be once a week or every other week. Okay. So there's a lot of nuance in between um, depending on what kind of, pro you know, because you say, well, how often should you shampoo? Well, it kind of depends on what you're using to wash your hair. And also your, your goals. I, I went 18 months without washing my hair. Um, I got, you know, there's lots of research that you you grow a healthier biome uh, when you do that. So I said, all right, I'm going to do this no poo thing. And you know, it worked mm -hmm. pretty well. Uh, but if I wanted my hair a little bit longer, it seemed that oil would build up after a while. So I, I'm i not a fan of washing it a lot, but I also am using, you know, natural stuff. And you- So did you have any symptoms? No, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. What kind of symptoms did you notice going from whatever shampoo regimen you did before to like this no poo thing? And when you say no poo, you did no con you did conditioner? No, no conditioner, no shampoo. No shampoo. Yeah. Wow. And what I, I found was it saved me a lot of time. I would just get my head wet <laughs> okay. and dry it. And it worked the first maybe month yeah. of not washing or conditioning my hair at all. It was a little bit oily. And then the oil production just ramped down and it was it was perfectly normal. Um, the, one of the reasons I started shampooing again uh, and, and all that is that when you go on like a TV show like Dr. Oz or or something, and I do that for my book tours when I launch a book, they spray all kinds of crap in your hair. And if you're going to be putting gel and stuff in your hair, you have to wash your hair because otherwise you're going to have like stalactites, right? Correct. So I'm like, how do I get this out of my hair? If I wash it, then it's going to go through this whole cycle of like being too oily and too dry. So I wash and condition eh, once a week maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's pretty interesting that the, the body will self-regulate yeah. in that way. Um, but I think that maybe over shampooing is probably the cause of a lot of irritation. Okay. I, I agree yeah, with you. And some of the chemicals, and then you yeah, formulate yeah. some shampoos that are specific for hair loss with good ingredients. Um, and I suppose even those, you don't want to use them twice a day because it, you know, it's probably not useful or is it? Oh no, they should just continue to use that all the time. No, I'm just <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Um, of course it's going to be, yeah, put it in um, your coffee. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Every time you, you think about it, you should put it in your hair. No, but the, um, the point is that yes, no, the, the correct, um, frequency of use of those types of therapeutic ingredients is going to be based on the quality of your skin and your hair. And those, yeah. we can figure that out scientifically. We can measure that actually. So, okay. So there is um, the right answer. But the ingredients the that data. we have, like, you know, generally are anti-androgen type ingredients, which are very good for the scalp uh, to diminish sebum production, things like that, which very often when you have too much sebum, you get a little bit more hair loss situation going on. Okay. So. Talk to me about a common bodybuilding ingredient that messes up men's hair. So 
most likely what you're asking about is creatine. Yes. And so for many, many years in the practice, we had young guys come in, bodybuilders, athletes, and they would be on creatine and wondering why their hair was excessively thinning. Why did they see some kind of acceleration in their hair loss? And we didn't really know why, but we knew that there was some kind of a correlation perhaps between um, that, that particular age group and their lifestyle and these creatine-containing substances. But now we know there have been several clinical trials that show a direct correlation between creatine intake and an increase in DHT in the body. And DHT, as you know, that's the bad guy. That's what's going to cause your follicles to miniaturize or at least one of the reasons why you could be having male pattern hair loss. It's interesting because DHT can actually help you build muscle. It's not like it's a bad for you throughout, but it's, it's part of the whole male hormone things and very low DHT is anti-muscle. But if you get too much of it, it's really bad for your hair. So creatine, and I did not know this, creatine is good for mitochondria, at least at certain doses. And as you age, you get less of it, but it may be tied to hair loss. So maybe backing off from the creatine a little bit is a good idea for bodybuilders. Absolutely. So yeah, whenever you ask me about a question about a particular ingredient, I'm always going to answer it from the perspective of how it's going to affect your hair. Okay. So, But many of our patients come in and they want to look good and feel great. They're on testosterone replacement therapy perhaps, or they're taking supplements like creatine to improve muscle mass and, and to, to feel good in that way. But they need to know that what, what's the downside. And the downside yeah. of excess or excessive creatine use is that they could be increasing their DHT, which could hurt their hair follicles. So we have a couple of ways to fight that process. And you mentioned decreasing the amount of creatine. Certainly we can do that. There's anti-androgen therapies that are um, nutraceuticals like salt palmetto, for example. There are uh, pharmaceutical interventions like finasteride and dutasteride and other uh, systemic medications. And of course, okay. now we can put finasteride topically into the scalp to reduce the amount that you would be exposed to systemically. Is there a name for all these metrics uh, where it, someone can, you know, get a, a report or a standard lab or what, what's it called? So there's basically two things that we do in the office. One is the hair check. And so okay. hair check measurements gives us that hair mass index or that cross-sectional bundle measurement, cross-sectional area. Now, is so is that, that a device or? So the, the hair check is a tool Okay. and you're going to get the data from that tool when, we're, when you're in the office for that consultation. So we're going to measure a few different areas with the hair check tool. So this is only at your office? Correct. Okay, got Correct. It. Or at someone's office that we've trained. It could be a licensed professional uh, in okay. the medical field or in beauty. But, but So you're training to people to use the, the tool device. set. Okay, so you might be able to go to a hair person and say, I want hair check and then know what it is. Yes, if they are okay. a certified hair coach... Uh -huh. which is a training program that we do here in the office every quarter, they will be certified on the use of that tool. Okay, good deal. So you are training other professionals and how to this, use that. All of your secret knowledge of hair mastery. Okay, yes, awesome. and then there's what we call the hair cam. Hair cam is a microscope. That's where we take photos of the scalp under high-powered microscopy to look at the hair density and the hair caliber qualitatively. But also there's a hair cam analysis, which is a an AI uh, um, analysis of that photograph mm -hmm. that enables us to look at exactly what the hair counts are and the thickness of each individual hair. Okay. And so uh, stay tuned for that. that. That's available in the office at the moment, but uh, we may have other ways to, to have you do that kind of analysis on your own. Awesome. I have 14 years of sleep data. I've been tracking my hormones since I was 26. I have stacks of, of things 
And I've used different lights and I've used now the laser turbo cap that you make. Uh, and I've, in fact, I write about it in Superhuman, all these different hair things and sort of the three reasons that I can find in three systems, but I've never actually measured the hair, uh, which is uh, uh, kind of funny now that you put it out like that, uh, given how quantitative I am. I just didn't know that you could or how you could. So we're going to get the numbers. And I'm, I'm really intrigued at this idea of coming back in a year and saying, all right, what happened? And you know, what does the hair look like and, and all that? So let's, uh, let's get going on this. And, and guys, you definitely need to check this out on YouTube. We're going to have, or even my Instagram page, dave.asprey, because there's going to be video of, of what's going on here. So if you're curious, what does this look like and all, we're going to take little bits of this and string it together a little story so you can see um, kind of what, what I'm going through here uh, with Dr. Alan Bauman. Um, you have a website for the clinic. Baumanmedical.com is the place where okay. they can any patient anywhere, anytime can get in touch with us and schedule their virtual consultation. Many so you, of our patients you do remote consults. Absolutely, okay. absolutely, Good and deal. that's one of the most common ways that patients will connect with the practice. Okay, awesome. Well, I am grateful that you are going to be hacking my hair for me, and I'm I'm happy. In 23 years of focusing on this, I can tell you have a real passion for it. You got all the toys, all the data. Um, all the different ways of getting at this very complex system, uh, systemic or systems biology problem. It's not just one thing. And that's why when I try to pin you down on, on a few <laughs> of the things like what's the right amount of time to shampoo or whatever, you're saying, well, it depends, which is an educated answer here. So thank you for practicing your art well. And I wouldn't let anyone do this to my hair. In fact, I don't think I need a hair transplant. I just want to try it. No, you need it, Dave. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alan. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.